And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Tower of Evil, also known as the Horror of Snape Island, is a very unusual film for the time because it objectifies men in a way that was unheard of at the time. It stars Robin Asquith, who's not hard on the eyes, and John Hamill, who was a very, very well-known male model, very handsome. There they are under the, with the producer, Richard Gordon, who was also gay. The movie, which is like a train wreck because it doesn't make much sense. It takes place on this Snape Island and there's a lot of murders and we don't quite understand what's going on. There's a lot of psychedelia and flashing lights, but it's all great fun. George Kaloris, who was in Orson Welles, Citizen Kane, is in it. Robin Asquith, who did all the confessions of the window cleaner movies, is in it. So it's a lot of fun. Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Lingley West. And you are here for episode 131, and this is going to be a good one. Yeah. Uh, we have with us film historian, um, uh, writer, uh, raconteur, David Dale Vale. He's one of my favorite people on the, on the, in the world to hear on podcasts. I, I'm really excited for Well, I, 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 I'm, delighted. I'm delighted to be part of this podcast. I, I think this is all great, you know. The fact that we can exchange information like this, and especially right here in Hollywood today where it's like 100 degrees outside, and I'm out in front of the Directors Guild on Sunset Boulevard where we're in the middle of a, an Outfest film festival, and uh, so it's a perfect day to talk about movies and people that love movies. Exactly, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, David, can I ask you... Uh, uh, and I don't know. I don't know uh, if you're involved with the festival or not, or if you're just there as a guest. How many years has the Out Festival been going? Do you know? Uh, well, I've been going to it for four years, and I, I'm part of. I, I, I'm part of the press here, uh, but I do believe that Outfest started a, about three or four years before that, and uh, it started, I think, on kind of a college campus level. You know like-minded gay men and women, you know, getting together and trying to uh, organize a movement to make people understand the diversity in, uh, in, uh, in gay life, you know, the fact that in films we were always depicted in very negative ways, you know, either as people that were tormented with guilt and misery or we were homicidal and and murderous, or we were hairdressers, or interior decorators, or figures to be made fun of. And I, I kind of compare that to what happened to African Americans in movies, or, or Mexican Latino, you know, uh, uh, any kind of ethnic uh, stereotypes are, are, were reinforced by the, the motion picture industry for years and years. And my late friend uh, 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 that wrote The Celluloid Closet, uh, Vito, uh, you know, who, uh, unfortunately is no longer with us, but he wrote a very important book. And before him was a writer named Parker Tyler, who wrote a wonderful book called Screening the Sexes, 
homosexuality in the cinema. And it goes all the way back. I mean, I like to think that, you know, it goes back before James Whale started directing Frankenstein and The Bride of Frankenstein or F.W. Murnau had done Nosferatu. There were a lot of openly gay filmmakers that used the horror genre to kind of uh, uh, have a subtext, you know, in The Bride of Frankenstein and in, in James Whale's Frankenstein. The monster is kind of a figure of, of great pity because he's an outsider. He's misunderstood. And also in the vampire genre, there is a lot of coding for homosexual behavior. And it, it was, you know, Bram Stoker was kind of a latent homosexual. And I think Anne Rice, when she started writing about the vampire Lestat, she made him kind of sexually ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the time she wrote Interview with the Vampire and the Vampire Lestat and Queen of the Damned, she had established a kind of... Uh, and then, of course, uh, Joel Shoemaker, an openly gay filmmaker, did The Lost Boys, and The Lost Boys kind of pushed the bar a little bit further, you know, for same-sex attraction among monsters. And then, of course, Clive Barker's Nightbreed. And now it's pretty much, you know, part of the, of the landscape of the horror genre, you know, this kind of uh, forbidden zone of of different kinds of sexual expression and and the fact that you know when you're growing up the first 12 years of your life kind of define what you're going to be you know and it always goes back to mommy and daddy i don't care if we're talking about napoleon sigmund freud or tom cruise we're talking about people whose lives were pretty much formed during the first 12 years and think of all the movies you see when you're so impressionable mm-hmm. you know i totally get it I totally get it with millennials that are besotted by Star Wars and Star Trek and, you know, the, the universe of Marvel and DC Comics, because when you're, I mean, my God, if I were 11 years old and I had seen Star Wars for the first time, it would have made an enormous impression on me. You but know, I, unfortunately, I was I was much older, and it didn't <laughs> resonate quite the way. You know, I, I don't I feel like Sir Alec Guinness in that when Star Wars got extremely popular. Alec Guinness got very nervous because he said, I don't really like being a part of something that's turning into kind of a religion. Because yeah. he was really disturbed by the way people were blurring the lines between the Star Wars universe and their own personal lives, yeah. you, you know, know which you know, I think I think it prompted William Shatner to say, get a life at one point. <laughs> right. You know, it's interesting. I spoke with uh, Krista Faust, who's a writer, and she used to be a dominatrix, and she talked about someone who got um when she dug a little deeper she found that his love of suspension was based on empire strikes back um in the ice cave with the ice monster that suspends luke upside down sure sure oh i believe it that was the seminal moment for him yeah yeah interesting that that that, that well you know for for me it was uh i think walt disney and and those early animated masterpieces like snow white and the seven dwarfs or are particularly Fantasia, because when I was a little kid and I was reading Famous Monsters magazine, long before I became very close with Forrest J. Ackerman, who was a mentor to me in many ways, because I started reading Famous Monsters with issue number 12, which had Oliver Reed from Curse of the Werewolf on the cover, and it was bright yellow with red letters. You could see it from across the room. And that was the first time I realized that there were other people in the United States and perhaps the world 
that had the same obsessions I did. I think that was a kind of a defining moment for monster kids in the 50s and 60s to get a hold of these monster magazines because it made you aware that the things that you admired and were influenced by there were other people that felt the same way you did, and that kind of made you feel good when you were a kid, you know? It's important to know that you're not alone. Absolutely, and and it's I can't tell you how many times um, both guests on the show and just people that I know um, in the industry say that exact same thing. Uh, Famous Monsters was the first time that mm-hmm. they were like, there are other people like me. Um, you know, it, 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 a lot of times they're in some secluded small town or a neighborhood where they don't, you know, they, there, there is a Oh, yeah, if, you, if it used, used to be that if you were in, grew up in Kansas and you were the kid that was into this stuff, you were the weird kid in Kansas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of kids, what kind of kid were you? I'm, I'm always interested in hearing what, what people were like um, when they were growing up and in their formative years. I was, I was very precocious because my mother spoiled me to death. She treated me like a rock star from the time I was about seven years old. I loved Halloween. I would go and buy as many Halloween costumes from the Ben Cooper company that my mother would allow. (laughs) And you know why? Because I would go to all, I would circle, I did, my Halloween would be, I would pick out the houses that had the best candy and, and treats and then <laughs> i would go back to that house i would go back to that house over and over again in different costumes hey, your brother i would arrive <laughs> yeah i mean i i would go as casper the ghost then i would come back as a pirate then i'd come back as you know whatever whatever i've forgotten all the different uh, i i actually saw some of the old ben cooper co- i don't know if anybody's old enough to remember ben oh Cooper's i do yeah costumes, we both do but yeah, absolutely they came in those wonderful boxes you know they're quite collectible now yeah that halloween halloween memorabilia is a is, if any of you that are listening to this podcast are coming to the los angeles area please come to burbank to dark delicacies bookshop Halloween Town, there's two of them there, Creature Features, some wonderful little shops, Blast from the Past, where we have trivia once a month from uh, Blumhouse, Dead Right Trivia, that I've been uh, hosting a, a kind of a little crew. We call ourselves The Hills Have Thighs, <laughs> which is a little, my, little, my, my little nod to my, my, my buddy uh, Michael Berryman who I got to know <laughs> doing the convention circuit. One of the things that I've been doing for the last 25 years is taking celebrities uh, to these autograph shows. I started many years ago in, the, in like 1985. I've taken Udo Kier, Martin Beswick, Candace Hillegloss, Barbara Steele, uh, gosh, uh, Richard Stapley, who his only claim to fame in the horror genre was he co-starred with Boris Karloff in The Strange Door, and I took him to a show, and he really needed the money, and it was, oh, my God, it was one of those things. Candace Hillegloss, I took her to her first show, but we didn't hit it off particularly. She's kind of a She's exactly like she is in Carnival of Souls. That's not acting. Yeah. That is that woman is an ice queen, and uh, you know I, I realize. In fact, she just did a signing here, her first in a long time. I didn't go. I stayed at home. Been there, done that. Thank you. But uh, I admire Carnival of Souls as a movie. I think it's one of those. It's like if you're talking about movie, if you're talking about music, and you talk about a, a band or a singer that had a one note, a one hit wonder. 
you know, Carnival of Souls was exactly that. Mm -hmm. A director, Herc Harvey, that only did one movie, that was it. Candace Hillegloss, an actress that only did one role, that was it. Nothing afterwards, that's just it. And it's, it's kind of like, I wonder how many other examples of that there are. Probably the cast of Mono's Hands of Fate that mm -hmm. was shot in my little home, my birthplace of El Paso, Texas, which I, I, you know, that's where I was born. So there aren't many movies that come from El Paso, but we can at least count Mono's Hands of Fate as one, which is an indescribably bad movie that that is is wonderful on the guy in it which i call the greatest actor since dwight fry is you know who i'm in what is his name torgo or yeah yeah torgo uh -huh. i'm telling you that is an incredible performance <laughs> i don't know if he's really mentally unstable or not he's dead of course now but i i just looked at that movie and went what the fuck is this you know he's just exactly <laughs> like dwight fry in Dracula, <laughs> only he's got a he's got you know like cloven hooves. Who knows? Who knows? Right. I try not and think. I try not and think about the narrative aspects of some of these movies. <laughs> it's, but it's probably no. Best so, not so, to. so uh, yeah. So growing up for me, you know, my mom was very indulgent. I mean, unlike a lot of other parents, because I was raised by a single parent. My parents divorced when I was two, uh, and I've had a very shaky. My dad is still around, I think, and he's getting close to a hundred, so oh, I wow. should get back in touch with him, I guess. But in any case, I digress. Uh, I pretty much had watched whatever I wanted, and I do remember in, like, sixth grade getting called on the carpet because I took all of my class, my buddies, my, 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 my guys from my class, I took them all to see William Castle's 13 Ghosts. Yeah. And, ev all, and their parents just had a had a complete, they just had a, you know, they just lost their shit over the fact that I took their, their kids to see. And 13 Ghosts, as you know, is not that terrifying no, no, a movie. No. But it did have a, a gimmick of you had to wear these special glasses to see the ghosts. Right, right, right. And I just, rem yeah. I just remember loving those William Castle movies so yeah. much. You know, we're working, I'm working pretty hard, spoiler, to get uh, William Castle's daughter on, Terry. She's a She's friend. great. Terry's She's great. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just trying to get it working. And, uh, uh, well, I met her at a screening of Straight Jacket. Oh, my she God. Brought a, her, she brought her dad's scrapbook. Oh. And in the middle of the scrapbook was a giant paper axe with all the reviews and, and photos of Joan Crawford looking completely psychotic, which is what every You know, after the brilliant, brilliant, I, I can't recommend Feud, I just can't recommend it highly enough. I think Ryan Murphy is a genius. Uh, I think Feud is one of the great. I mean, even though it plays hell with the facts in some cases, it's vastly entertaining. American Gods, I just uh, met Ian McShane the other night. Yeah, I and, saw that on your Facebook. Uh, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, all the great performances, writing, it's all on television now. Whether we're talking Game of Thrones, whether we're talking Penny Dreadful, whether we're talking True Blood, Weeds, Mad Men, the best stuff is on television. We've, the things that should be in major motion pictures are on cable. It's true. It's we've talked about this before. Now, uh, uh, Tom is. We is, just gave an award to Brian Fuller the other night, and mm. you know he he brought up the one thing that is is a constant in the conversation that we're having about horror films and, and sexuality and what makes people different from everybody else. And 
And Brian Fuller, you know, said, you know, I, I had five television pilots, all of which had gay characters in them, all of which got kind of uh, watered down or, or omitted or they were left out because they were just too, you know, just wasn't, they just, it wasn't what they wanted until finally now, of course, with American Gods, he put on television probably one of the most explicit gay scenes between two men ever to be on, on television. And uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and I, I can't tell you how great it is to finally to live long enough to see all this happen. Right. Yeah. You know, in spite of the current political climate, which is not inducive of anything progressive, but it's just, you know, one of those things we have to go through. I mean, I I survived the Bushes and the Reagans. I certainly can survive this, I think. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. I was going to say, uh, we've talked about this before, about television being, you know, it, it kind of being the, the best of times and the worst of times, depending on what what channel you're watching, because we, we, we are still glooded with these reality shows that, that I think are the well, most. Yes. You know. but then well, we yes. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, well, you know, I, I go back to Dark Shadows. Right, and, sure. you know, the amazing thing for me, Tom, is that, I would admire something, and then down the road, I would get to know the people that did all this stuff. Right. You know, it's not everybody that comes to Hollywood, and you make friends with Christopher Lee and Vincent Price and Barbara Steele and Dan Curtis. And I mean, Dan Curtis paid my paid for Barbara and me to go to New York to do the 35th anniversary of Dark Shadows. And Dan Curtis was a character. He he was very aggressive. Very frightening if you didn't know him because he yelled and threw things a lot. But <laughs> I like him. He was like, I mean, well, I like him. You know, I thought he was like a big werewolf. You know, I mean, he his teeth would come out, and he. I thought he was going to crawl over his desk at me when, you know, we were trying to just explain to him what we were going to do in New York, and you know, we had all this idea to have a lot of people dress up like Barnabas and blah blah blah. And of course, Jonathan Fred was still alive, and I knew Jonathan quite well, and. Uh, uh, when I would go to New York, Jonathan had this amazing apartment that he had maintained. It was under rent control. So he was paying. He was right in a great part, you know, not far from the village. And he had the cane and uh, and the cape and all the Barnabas memorabilia in Lucite cases over his over his sofa so that you knew you were in Barnabas Colony <laughs> apartment. To be reminded, and, you paid for and, all you this. Know, well, well, you know, I went. In, I, he had me come to his apartment. Naturally, I was about what twenty something, and so you got to come and see my apartment. So, of course, <laughs> I was fearless. There and you go. You know what I did to make you? You know, I, I, we got in there, and I said, "I've got to call my mother." He said, "Really?" I said, "She loves you." He says, "Well, what about you? Don't you love me?" I said, "Yeah, but my mother really loves you." <laughs> and so I got her on the phone, and I said, "You won't believe whose apartment I'm in." And she said, I don't want to know whose apartment you're in. When are you coming home? And I said, listen, I'm serious. I've got Jonathan Fred on. She said, what? And so Jonathan got on the phone and said, oh, you did a wonderful job raising your son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And my mother my mother kept telling people when I came back, oh, David was with Jonathan Fred in his apartment. I said, you know whether that doesn't really sound quite the way. I know that's what you're trying to say, but it's... A lot of my friends are laughing because of the way you're telling this story. But in any case, uh, we went to New York, and we uh, Barbara Steele and I, you know, went out to where uh, Grayson Hall and her husband Sam Hall 
had a big, they had one of those old pre-revolutionary houses by, in Ryan back by the uh, Hudson River. And she had died, of course. I never got to meet Grayson Hall, but she was my favorite character on Dark Shadows. I mean, she, she looked like this, like, really awesome bull dyke, you know, occult scientist. She was, she was the, who the, the was analyst, right? The, the psychiatrist. Yeah, she yeah, was yeah, the yeah. analyst. She yeah, was yeah. the analyst. But she, she always played characters that had kind of a, a, a latent lesbian quality about them. It's like the and woman it was who just, played, it's like the woman who played Jane Dr. Hathaway. Hoffman. Yeah, right. But yeah. the girl, yes, was, the, Nancy the same Cole. thing. Yes. Yeah, same yeah, thing, yeah, Nancy yeah. Cole. Same yeah. thing. Same thing. It's just it's a code. It's coded. But uh, but it was funny because it's a heterosexual kind of narrative in Dark Shadow. She's in love with Barnabas and he's in love with Josette. Uh-huh. But yet he's living with you know. I kept saying to because we were going how why are you coding this gay? And I said okay, let's do the math. Barnabas Collins comes out of his coffin having been freed by a guy named Willie who then becomes his handyman, and the two of them live together in an old mansion and collect <laughs> antiques and redecorate their house. Hello. I just remember Dr. Hoffman in that smoky voice going, I love you, Barnabas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh no, my, my favorite line was, my favorite line was Thayer David. Thayer David played Dr., uh, oh, Dr. something. or Oh, no, Professor Stoke. Yeah. And he was the one that comes up with the line in his very heavy breathing because he was fabulous in a movie called journey to the center of the earth where he played count socknusom and he was wonderful and a great villain a great actor i mean that's the thing about dark shadows all the character actors were fabulous and he would go julia you're in love with him <laughs> I just, julia you're in love with him and she kind of like sputters and goes off into this and of course when she tells barnabas he goes oh i had no idea you felt that way oh well yeah and you're a vampire <laughs> I interviewed Barbara Magnolfi at a con once. Oh, you know, we almost moved in an apartment together, Barbara and my friend Bill and I. We oh, all looked at apartments together. She's she's awesome. She was she was such she's, fun. Yeah, I, well, you know, we have a running gag because the, her, her her my line, her line that I give her all the time is, uh, what is it? Mata Hari has to file her report <laughs> because you know she has she plays that the real bitchy girl in Suspiria. Right. Which is the most, you know, that's what I know Barbara from, uh, is playing that, you know, where she hisses like a snake and she kind of really kind of gives a bad time to Jessica Harper, who has the strangest career in show business. I mean, Jessica Harper is in everything. She's in Woody Allen movies. She's in Suspiria. She's in Phantom of the Paradise. Shock Treatment. She doesn't do movies unless they're cult. She's in Shock Treatment. And by the way, Shock Treatment is about to come out in a big deluxe edition from Arrow. And Arrow is one of my favorite DVD companies. I've done a lot of work for them. I just did Tower of London with Tara Gordon, uh, the 1962 version of Tower of London that Vincent Price did, which is incredibly camp, by the Uh way. Uh, If you have an all-region player, I highly recommend getting Arrow's uh, deluxe release of Tower of London. I also did the Count Yorga collection for them, and I did my first bunch of voiceovers for Herschel Gordon Lewis's box set, which has 22 discs on it. Uh, I did did the narration for uh, the 2000 Maniacs documentary, and uh, another one on uh, the artist, the, the art, the, the, the homicidal artist in cinema called Color Me Blood Red or something. Anyway, I, I do the, do some strange voices in two different 
things for that release, and it's just an incredible box set. I mean, right. I love if you like Herschel Gordon Lewis, that's it. Uh, David, who, do you know who that's through? Who's releasing that box set? Yeah, Arrow. It's it, it all Arrow. from Arrow okay. in the Arrow in the UK. Arrow I'm, in the UK. It's you know I did the Count Yorga for uh, Twilight Time. I did Count Yorga Vampire and Scream and Scream Again with my friend Tim Sullivan, who directed the remake of Two Thousand Maniacs. Yeah, he also did uh, Chris other... the Werebear for Chillerama. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Man, Scream and Scream Again is a movie that doesn't get talked about. Yeah, it's uh, great. Very much. It is a good movie. Uh, well, we talked about it, but you know, I mean, I still don't know what it's all about. But, but Tim <laughs> seemed to Tim took it. Tim took the idea. Because when you're doing a commentary with a partner, you kind of assign yourself different things to talk about. So Tim was going to talk about The Demolished Man, which is the book that they made the screenplay from. But the more one looked at the movie, as it was cut together by Gordon Hessler, who's also someone I knew, I realized that this movie's just a hot mess, and everybody likes it for different reasons. And they always cite Fritz Lang. But Fritz Lang was really old when that movie came out, and he couldn't hear, and he couldn't see very well. So I don't really know what Scream and Scream Again he saw. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just kind of wonder if he maybe he saw a whole different movie, but he thought it reminded him of the Dr. Mabusa characters that huh. he created in his early uh. Uh, sound film. And of course, he had done a Dr. Mabusa for The Silence as well. Um, but I've done I've done commentaries for just about every label. I've done them for Scream Factory, Vinegar Syndrome, mm-hmm. Keen All Over. I just did one with my friend Nat Bell called The Legend of Hillbilly John, which is a very obscure movie directed by John Newland, who was the host of One Step Beyond, and also directed some of the best episodes of Boris Karloff's Thriller. And but he directed this weird yeah. I was going to say, and that movie has a really cool stop-motion uh, bird sequence. Oh, cool. That is very cool. I just wanted to throw it that It does <laughs> indeed. You know, it's not a bad movie, uh, but I had never seen it. And so Nate is very, uh, he's, a, he's, you know, he's a, an academic, and he teaches film history and, and uh, cinema studies in, at the university here. And so he talked about Manly Wade Wellman, who wrote the yeah. Hillbilly John stories, the John the Balladeer or whatever that they were called in the short stories. There were nine of these short stories. So I think we gave a pretty good account of it. I think you almost have to listen listen to our audio commentary before you watch the movie, because if you don't know the background of what's going on, the movie doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. It's one of those rare films where you really need to have read. And I think you need to read American Gods before you watch the TV series, because that's also very confusing. With Twin Peaks, good luck. I have no idea, no idea what that is about. And I watch it every Sunday religiously with five or six millennials that swear they know what's going on. So I just sit there and, you know, have more popcorn and have 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 another Heineken and let them explain to me what's going on. But having said that, the God of Light episode, episode eight, is an absolutely riveting piece of television. Huh. Uh, I, I guess you've seen it, so I won't do any spoilers. But we, we, if you don't watch any other episode of Twin Peaks, watch that one called God of Light. We neither Tom and I have seen any of the new uh, of the new Twin Peaks series. Um, I, I'm currently taking my girlfriend through the original because she never saw it, 
and then we're going to... Well, the original's totally different from this in, in so many ways. Uh, but I just love the fact that David Lynch can't make feature films anymore because he can't raise the money for it, but he can do whatever the fuck he wants on television. Right. <laughs> and, and as a result, he's doing exactly what he wants, and it's very, very bizarre. I've had a lot of people tell me that it, uh, you really need to read... Um... Mark Frost's uh, what is it? The, the secret history, yeah, oh, the yeah, secret yeah. history of Twin Peaks, to kind of bridge the two. And I think there, I think Kyle McLaughlin was doing some damage control because I saw him in an interview just the other day, and he's like, "Believe me, it's all going to make sense. It really is." <laughs> and you just know, Mark, hang in there. Oh well, good luck. Well, you know, he looks pretty damn good for somebody that's yeah. pushing sixty, if not, if he may even be sixty. I he don't know, be. but yeah, yeah. Uh, he looks really good. And Mark, Mark Frost uh, but having great. having said that, this the show is very strange. I mean, what else can I say? You, know, you brought up Mark Frost. He had, Frost has two books out: um, uh, Six Messiahs and The List of Seven. Right. They were speaking of something that's prime to be made into a movie. Yeah, it's very very cool, very high adventure, very sort of Victorian Indiana Jones. Sure, and it's great stuff. Well, uh, I want I want to say something about what where I think movies should go right now. Not yes, that anyone's please. asking me, but I just feel that with all the reboots and all the remakes, we have an untapped wealth of great weird fiction. Absolutely. Everything that was published under the banner of Arkham House, which was put together to perpetuate the legacy of H.P. Lovecraft, done Amen. by August Carolus. And there are so many amazing stories in that. They're all public domain. Please, if you're going to do short films, don't find some awesome cabin that you can do a found footage movie in because I don't want to watch any more of them. I don't want to watch any more movies where a woman's trapped in a house with an evil entity, no thank you. I don't want to see any more movies where, you know, it's, I don't know. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. And Absolutely. I don't want to see any more guys walk away from a car as it explodes. <laughs> and let's, I, I just think it's funny. That, I, like, I just, I mean, please, if you can, everybody's got to get an imagination here for some yeah. stuff, you know. Genre gotta, can get really ageist. Like, you're usually, if, you, if there's a person past 40, they're there mostly to be killed or to be, the deranged lunatic sure. that sits on outside on the porch and warns them of something, you know. Whatever. Well, I know. Well, I took my roommate to see the new Transformers, and honest to God, you know, isn't Walmart, isn't Mark Wahlberg wealthy enough? Can't he just stay? Can't he just stay Dude. at home and learn how to be a carpenter like Harrison Ford? The, the and last... please, Harrison, stay out of those planes. Yeah, the last. There's, uh... a, there's a one sheet. There's a one sheet for the 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 new Blade Runner that shows Harrison Ford walking away from a down plane. And I thought, well, that's, not from, that's not from a movie. That's Harrison's life. Oh, my you God. Know, he's always he's crashing planes places. Sure. Nearly 100. Almost killed the, But, um, no, I mean, movies just have to get more imaginative, I hope. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've always said that if you look at what's being released wide in, in cinema, you, I can go onto the even the comic book movies. I can go onto the floor of San Diego Comic Con, grab a random fanboy, and get better. Uh, yeah, better ideas. Know. Sure. It's 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 too many cooks. It's too much money at stake. It's yeah. too much at, at, at risk. I and mean, when you're risking a hundred million dollars, yeah, I, I kind of understand. Well, let's let's talk for a minute about the Tom Cruise reboot of the Mummy. Oh, now do I we have knew, to? Let me tell you something. <laughs> let me tell you something. I've seen, because I'm here in Hollywood and I'm right behind the Chinese and across the street from 
the Egyptian. I see everything, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And I am here to tell you, and it's not just because I'm a gay man. I think the new Baywatch is far more fun. I laughed out loud. It made me forget my problems for two hours. That did not happen to me in Alien uh, Covenant. That did not happen to me in Power Rangers. That did not happen to me in Transformers. All the people that put all that hate on Baywatch, excuse me, I had more fun, maybe because the guys were hot. I don't know. (laughs) Well, no. As as the people that know me out there are already laughing. But no, (laughs) but I just think that sometimes movies that everyone hates, why everyone hated Gods of Egypt. I thought it was fun. Is that just me? Is it possible we can't just go have fun at the movies? I mean, I hate when I'm with other film critics. And everything has to be analyzed and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm just at a point in time where I just think, look, if it entertains, then it's, 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 it's worthy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Not absolutely. everything. I'll tell you, the best horror movie I saw last year was The Witch. Uh-huh. I just think that that was a, that was a return to the Val Luton school of uh, mystery and, and the occult. It reminded me a little in ways of uh, Isle of the Dead and The Seventh Victim and um, just that whole ad, I Walked with a Zombie. You know, I just thought The Witch was wonderful. But it, 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 it was that last ten minutes that really made it work for me. But I thought the acting was superb. It was true to the period. And I understand that director is now making a movie about Rasputin, although he may have changed his mind by now. But I did hear that a while back. Hmm. And that could be really cool. I think that movies well, like Witch and 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 uh, you know you pointed out Val Luton. I think that that's something that a lot of filmmakers aren't doing now, and that is treating atmosphere almost as another character. Mm-hmm. Like the, the well, they, how can they do that when their scripts are so shitty? Right. You know, I mean, it's it's impossible to make a good movie without a good script. Right. Agreed. I'm sorry. Unless we're talking Boonwell, Kenneth Anger, you know, ex, you know, surrealism, sure. movies like Enter the Void. I liked Enter the Void. I thought Enter the Void was really an, an interesting, important movie. But I, it's it's not. You know, it's like it's like it's like uh, any other film that requires you bringing something to the table as well. It's like looking at art. If you go into a museum and you don't know anything about expressionism or, or the different artists in their lives or the different periods in which the art was created, you don't really know what you're looking at. And in, in many ways, cinema is like that, too. I think it's, the more you know, the more informed you are when you watch something. Well, but you don't, have to be, uh, you don't have to be a gourmet to know when you're being poisoned, either. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, there are movies, there's some movies that are just so ghastly that nothing, nothing. And the mummy, the mummy, which is what brought all this on, the mummy, I was willing, because I don't dislike Tom Cruise. I'm not one of these people that, I'm not one of the haters. I think he's a very talented man. I think he's had a lot of, he's had the kind of celebrity that most people don't understand, because he's probably the biggest movie star in the world, or was, if he's not still one of the biggest movie stars in the world. But what I've heard from Universal is that he completely redesigned, rethought, re-this, re-that. He just turned the mummy into his personal little action drama, and it doesn't work. Yeah, I call and it... And it, it has nothing to do with the universal horror films at all. I called it Mummy Impossible. Right. Well, it, it's, you know, and, and Russell Crowe is terrible in it, that bringing Dr. Jekyll into the mix for no reason 
when Dr. Jekyll isn't part of the universal stock and, and carriage of monsters. Mm-hmm. That was an MGM Paramount. Uh, uh, you know, the first one with Frederick March was Paramount, and the second one was MGM, and the one before that with John Barrymore, and before that was Sheldon uh, Lewis. You know, I mean, the Jekyll and Hyde is a very... I know that they... I have a feeling Tom Cruise saw, you know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, mm, and just right. thought, let's just mix it up. See, that's just it. You can't... Too many cooks in the, in the, in the kitchen. Because when you see the, the credit crawl and there's six or seven people that are accredited with the script, then you know you're in trouble. Right. I call it. It doesn't I, take seven people to write the mummy. Right. I, I said whenever they included Dr. Jekyll that they should have, instead of calling it the, uh, the Universal Universe or the Universal, what do they call it? The Dark, dark Universe. The Dark Universe. They should have called it the, the Aurora. The Dark Universe. Yeah, the Aurora Models Universe, Yeah, basically. Well, and they're all, why are they excluding Dracula, the untold story, and Van Helsing? Those were they didn't do well from Universal. They didn't do well, well financially. Well, this, is, uh, this isn't going to do well. Listen, oh, they put up a sarcophagus that was like, 40 tons and 50 stories Dude, high in the huge. Highland Plaza. And then they took it down 72 hours later when the movie oh. tanked. We oh. saw it opening day, and we literally could sit wherever we wanted. Wow. There was just nobody wow. was there. Nobody was there. The, you know, Rotten Tomatoes really can kill a movie. You know Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. It can make a movie, too. It's the making, power of the Internet is, it's, is unmistakable. It's making Spider-Man Homecoming now. You can just see people, just the fanboys have come oh, out. Oh, everybody. And, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try and see that tomorrow. I was going to see it tonight, but I've got stuff here at, uh, at this festival that I can't avoid. I've got tickets for it, but I'm going to try and see Spider-Man tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have to tell you, you know, uh, I saw Baby Drive, Baby Driver. Yeah. And I thought, I thought it was terrific. But you can't, you know, all my, my film critic friends were like, really putting it down and i couldn't understand why they couldn't just enjoy it but they couldn't enjoy it because they had to place it historically with ryan gosling's drive from nicholas reffin and ryan o'neill's the driver but they don't and they they when they no nothing in common except for the name no 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 because listen every generation needs a role model every generation needs their own james dean and i think ryan gosling has become a kind of hero to young guys that like tim and drive and like tim and la la land and like tim and now he's going to be in the new blade runner 2049 mm-hmm. and this kid the baby driver he is the new millennial bad boy and uh, why wouldn't you be attracted to somebody that can riff with music and seems to be a loner and winds up with the absolutely beautiful girl? And, you know, I mean, it has some cliche moments in it, but then every new movie does. Every mainstream movie every is, story a, does. is a well, patch quilt is a patch quilt of what's come before. I yeah, think that agreed. that's what Edgar Wright is good at, is it, it, it kind, of, kind of what Tarantino is good at or you know, what he can be vilified as, depending on what side of the fence you're on, mm-hmm. is that he he looks at all these things that came before and then kind of takes all these different elements and puts them together into his own thing. 
Right, right, right. And I think that Edgar yes. Wright is good at that. Yeah, I think, especially when you look at things like um, Scott Pilgrim and Baby Driver, sure. it's like, he's on to a whole new jam. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, I can't imagine what... Uh, well, I think Shaun of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead is his masterpiece. Agreed. Yeah. I can't imagine... Um, him doing Ant-Man, which he was originally slated to do, right. and then they left. Ant-Man would have been... I could see him doing Deadpool. I could easily... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, a good, that's a good... And I would have loved to have seen what he might have done with Suicide Squad, too. Yeah, Suicide Squad, I think it's so hot topic, you know what I mean? Well, I think... Well, you know, I, I saw it twice. I saw it once with a whole bunch of young guys with green hair. Then I saw it with a whole <laughs> bunch of young girls that were all doing Harley. And you can't... I, I would say it, the movie was beyond criticism. Yeah. But people were going, oh, didn't you hate it? I said, how could I hate it? Yeah. I was in a theater full of people that were just having, having the best time of their life with it. And See, I think a lot of times you just have to go with how the audience is reacting mm-hmm. to it. Sure. Oh yeah, as watching... opposed to your critical, your critical intuition as to what's great and what isn't great. You know, I mean, uh, some movie, and you know, a lot of these movies when they get in entertainment market, they're going to show. I think that uh, that Baby Driver will do very well as a rental or sure. to download. I think people will go. You know, people will respond to that. But I wanted to tell you guys, I'm the photo editor on a new Turner Classic movie book called Turner Classic Movies, The Essentials. This is called 50 Science Fiction Movies That Are Out of This World. Oh, sure. And I didn't, choo- I didn't choose the 50, but I did choose the photographs for them. Oh, that's and great. And I'm nice. going to be, pro- I'm gonna be promoting the book, which will come out in February of next year, mm-hmm. which isn't that far off, I, I have to tell you, because we're now in the middle of July. Right. Uh, but we're almost done putting it together. And Sloan DeForest wrote the book, but I will be, uh, promo- I will be kind of the, uh, I will be the person, you know, curating the, the films and going to the book signings because she's going to be, uh, busy and is unable to do this, so I'm going to take over her authoring duties as far as uh, promoting the book. Nice. And uh, I'm really excited about that. Plus, I just wrote the foreword for my first Dark Horse comic hardcover edition for their series of uh, EC comics. I did crime suspense stories. Oh, nice. Oh, oh very awesome. cool. It's good that Dark Horse. It just, in out. fact, it just, it just came out two weeks ago. You, it's now in in comic stores everywhere. It's a Dark Horse book. There, there are several volumes of them, but this one has a Jack Kirby cover, and it's really cool. Cool. David, I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, of course, it's old hat to you now, but when somebody first came to you and said, "Hey, do you want to do a, a, a DVD commentary?" You know, um, traditionally that was something that the, that the filmmaker well, the, did. The very, the very first audio commentary I ever did was for Bill Lustig, and wow. it was for Anchor Bay, and it was Harry Kumel's Daughters of Darkness. Wow. Oh, wow. And, and it was my very first commentary, and Bill picked me up in his car. That's a great story, because I did it with John Carlin, who played Willie Loomis, Right. In, in Dark Shadows, yeah, yeah, and yeah, he yeah. was the young romantic lead in Daughters of Darkness. Now, of course, with Bill, I, you know, he picked me up, and, and, you know, Bill's a lot of fun. He's no nonsense. He's a great guy. He's got a, I love his sense of humor. In fact, we just did a, we just did a pilot for a TV show 
scary people uh, that we are hoping will go to the El Rey channel. I'm one of the, of the hosts, along with Armand Mastroianni and Ed Pilardi and uh, uh, Stephen Nivens, I believe is his name. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, just did, we just shot the pilot for it. But uh, what was my point here? I was telling you something about, oh, so John Carlin. So we're, getting, we're, we're going to, this, to the studio to record this, and I'm sitting in the car with Bill Lustig, and he goes, yeah, well, I hope John's not in the bag by the time we get there. <laughs> and I go, in the bag? He said, well, yeah, you know, he likes to drink. And I said, Bill, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Uh -huh. So we get, to, we, get to the, we get to the place, and he touched the drop. And he's terrific. You know, there's a moment where, and I've never done a commentary with anybody, and so I'm in there and, like, I'm completely, uh, you know, but he was very generous and nice. And there were moments where he said, David, just shut up a minute. I want to I enjoy this kiss with this beautiful girl. Oh, my God, wasn't I beautiful? Wasn't I great? So he was just terrific, and he told me some unprintable stories about Jonathan Fred. And he said, hey, you went to his apartment, did you? Uh-huh. And, you know, I was just like, it's just like, oh, my God, I was just, I was so funny. And, uh, but he had, he fought with Harry Kumel, the director. And so we took John, after we did the recording, we took him to this really nice kind of sportsman's lodge type uh, for, for lunch. And, uh, you know, John never got around to having his lunch. You know, he just got really drunk and uh you know that was it was he was going through a divorce and it was kind of but you know this is the thing this is the way you know this is how i know hollywood you know everybody has their own personal demons everybody gets through this life as best they can especially and creatives. you just can't be, you yeah you just can't be judgmental if somebody drinks somebody does drugs somebody's static whatever oh. you know what it's just not our place to say whether what they're doing is Wrong, you exactly. know what I mean? Well, you don't get Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas without getting Hunter Thompson. Right, exactly. You know, so oh, no. I it's mean, one you of just those want things. to throw that radio right in the thing when Jefferson <laughs> Airplane is doing White Rabbit, and then you get electrocuted. That's right, right. Yeah, yeah. David, yeah. I wanted to ask you, how does somebody from El Paso, Texas, um, who's a monster kid, reads famous monsters, etc., wind up in Hollywood and becomes what you're kind of in a rarefied position there's a, there's probably a handful of people that kind of do what you do um but do you go that. well yeah exactly do you go with the intention of um being an actor or getting into the film industry or do you go because you just love this and you love this culture and it just naturally develops well, first of all, the El Paso, Texas, is a place you immediately live when you you leave when you're an infant, as I did. <laughs> my 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 dad. Shout out at, to El Paso. Portland, <laughs> well, fuck El Paso. I lived, you know, I was I was there I was there as a baby, and by the time I was two, we moved to Los Angeles. Gotcha. So that's how you survive. Now, there's another writer named John Rishi who wrote an amazing book called City of Night. And he's, he's about 15 or so years older than me. And he is the preeminent gay writer of, of his era. And, uh, you know, he wrote this very important book, City of Night. And he's from El Paso, but he spent his adolescence there. And if you read City of Night, it will explain what would have happened to me, because I know John, and we've talked about this El Paso experience. 
You see, I think one of the reasons that the horror genre was such a, an important part of my life as a monster kid was the fact that it was escapism. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't terribly athletic when I was in grade school and middle school. And it wasn't until, you know, I started going through puberty that I, that I to, you know, work out and, you know, play sports and, I got on the wrestling team. Ha ha ha! That was a joke. <laughs> I, was, I never, I never, I never took, I never took boxing. No, but the coach used to say, "David, you just lay there." And I go, "No, no, I'm fine." And so, "David, you got to move around." And I just like, you know, I was around all these guys. And I would just they pinned me down, and I would just stay there. I was fine. Yeah, I'm but fine. no, I mean, so, so, so for me, you know, uh, movies was just it was a great, and also because I was always the new kid in school. You know, I was always being. I'd be in a, I'd be in school like eight months, and my mom would pull me out. We'd move somewhere else. And when you're a new kid in school, over and over again, you have to have something about you to make people like you, right. or you get beat up, or mm-hmm. you get you know left out of things. And I was always a very popular kid because I'm funny, you know, and I was always funny, and I always made made people, you know, I was I was like an entertainer. Right. And this is how I got through school. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, and I'll tell you something. It's, it's something that I'm, I'm so grateful it's part of my life, you know, being, uh, being funny or having the gift of gab. Because when you get older, you know, you're not always going to be beautiful. You're not always going to be young. But if you're like John Waters, who is my role model, you know, I mean, John and I aren't far apart in age. And nobody ever talks about his age. Right, because he's true. he's he's awesome, you know. He's he's funny. He's creative. He's cutting edge. He's you know he's a freak. He's you know he's he's into some weird shit. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And if I a, if I really got to know, he's not afraid. To, and it, something I've always admired about John Waters is that he's not at no point, even after he began to get you know uh, quote unquote mainstream success. He's not afraid to say exactly. He's like Jim what, Norton that way. Yeah, he just like you know. This is like, what it is. I, 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 one of my favorite quotes ever comes from John Waters. He's like, "Don't fuck people who don't read books." Yeah, you know. Yeah. What a yeah, exactly. Great, if they, yeah. I mean, of course, I, 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 I don't do that. I won't tell John that. But if somebody's <laughs> really hot, I don't, I don't care if all they've got the TV guy in their room. Fuck that. You know, I'm there. But that I you know, I, enjoy being, I, I, I enjoy being shallow and superficial. What sure. can I tell you? Absolutely. It's and, a lifestyle. It's well, a you lifestyle. Know, well, you know, you do, we were talking about Frankenstein, and for me, growing up, I didn't see myself in in you know James Bond or whatever else because that wasn't my experience. My experience right. was one of isolation and no one understanding Absolutely. what was going on. So when you see first time I see something like Frankenstein, it's like, oh my God, this right. is these are my people. Your Frankenstein is my King Kong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh well you want to know what changed my life was seeing Vincent Price when I was like five years old in the house of wax with his temples all gray and that wonderful goatee. And the minute, the minute I saw Vincent Price, I fell in love with him, just totally in love with him. And then when I met him, it was just so obvious that I had this great affinity for him because can you imagine I met Vincent Price right after he had finished filming Witchfinder general in England he had come to Sacramento, where I was in high school, to do a tour called An Evening. It's uh, Dear Theo, The Letters of Vincent Van Gogh 
to his brother Theo. Oh yeah, yeah. Now this yeah, is yeah. something that normally wouldn't have wouldn't have appealed to a teenage kid, but it was Vincent Price. So I went down to the municipal auditorium where he was speaking, and I went backstage. This is 1968, and he's got his back to me. He's like six feet four, and I I just walk up to him and I go, "Excuse me, Mr. Price, I'm David, and I'm writing for the Tomahawk at Encina High School." And he looked at me really long for a minute, and he said, well, if this is the tomahawk, I better give you my undivided attention. <laughs> That's awesome. And, 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 and you know, I was in some little, little shitty paper for some little obscure high school, and he was treating me like I was with Rolling Stone. Right and, on. And, you know, we exchanged, listen, we exchanged addresses in 1968, and I knew that man until he died. Wow. In 1992. Now, how do you figure that? I well, mean, well, he, it was just the most wonderful guy. And when you were in his presence, he treated you like you were the most important person in his life. Sure. That's so important. I know yeah. um, having met people like Bar Barker can do that. Yeah. Neil Gaiman can do that. Where you immediately feel like, I've known this guy forever. Yeah. And it's, it's an amazing Oh, gift. yeah. I told Barker once, if that's real, I'm impressed. If it's not real, I'm even I mean, more, more impressed. Fuck yeah. 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 Because yeah. it's such well, a I good tool. When I got to know Robert Block, Robert Block, Robert Block was one of these guys that, you know, he had this really kind of a dry sense of humor, very self-deprecating, always talking about himself in, well, you know, he, he would go, well, you know, I'm not a very attractive man. I'm not, you know, but he, and I, and, and I learned from Bob that being funny was attractive in a different way. Sure. And, you know, he had a great marriage. He and Ellie were wonderful. And I would come into Hollywood. I was still living up in Sacramento. And then I, I went to college in San Francisco. So I'm really a Northern California boy that kind of came down here. You know, I was supposed to do creature features. You know, I'd done the Bob Wilkins show in Sacramento. Oh, right. And then when I got into college, uh, creature features moved over to Jack London Square in Oakland. And I started doing shows there. And, you know, Bob said to me, you know, David, you, you could, you, you would be perfect for this. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to come to Hollywood. Uh, and I don't so, regret it. Because guess what? If I'd stayed up in San Francisco and done what John Stanley did, you know, and I've seen John Stanley, actually. I ran into him uh, about five years, four years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't think it changed his life to the degree that moving down here changed mine. Sure. Agreed. So I don't re I don't regret it is what I'm saying I don't regret it. Wow, wow, Bob. And is... there are no horror hosts now. I mean, it's just Elvira and that's it. There's a, um, there's a couple in little tiny markets and on the internet. Right. They they take they're taking kind of what Elvira did. They're taking public domain films and sort of spinning their own. Yeah. Version We're of it. really becoming. Well, you know, every every couple of years, someone will approach me about hosting horror movies, and the only things I've done. Which you can watch. I, I don't watch them, but you can certainly watch them. There's a hundred of them. I did 67 wraparounds for public domain horror films for David Dakota's Rapid Heart TV. Right. And oh, those yeah. are streaming right now as we speak. Also, then I did 33 episodes for Charles Band's Full Moon Entertainment <laughs> called Haunted Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I have done two web, two series for both Dakota and Band. Well, Rapid Heart and, is uh, also... They're, they're, they're like my best friend. I, David Dakota is like my best 
my absolute best friend in the world. I just love him to death. Rapid He's Heart. He's a fabulous, fabulous guy. Rapid Heart is where Ghoul Please was. Yes, that's mine. I that's love mine. Ghoul, Ghoul Please. please. <laughs> Ghoul Please and Camp Grindhouse yeah. and Sinister Image are the three I did for David. And then Haunted Hollywood is the one I did for Charlie. Yeah, and then I did two evil bong movies for Charlie right. with David Dakota. We, we play kind of a – David and I play kind of – I don't know what we are. We're a gay couple because the way Charlie directs us, he'll say, all right, the big gay, move over here with the little gay. I'm the little gay. <laughs> David's the big gay. And I said to Charlie, I said, you are so distinctly 1955, Charles. You're just right out of the, you're right out of the Eisenhower administration. You're, you're in the new um, Puppet Master, too, yeah? I'm in Al Axis Annihilation playing, if you look at my IMDb page, Flamboyant Nazi number two. There's actually another flamboyant Nazi that's not as it's not as faggy as I'm supposed to be, and I don't think of myself that way. Yeah. But when you're, you know, I mean, that's the way he looks at life. You right, know, right, it's right. all from the past. Yeah, flamboyant Nazi number one had a better agent, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, negotiated my own, I, I negotiated my own 298 that I got. That is that. Also, speaking of acting, I see via your IMDb, you were in things, you were uncredited in Frightmare, Chopping Mall, and From a Whisper to a Scream. I love that. Well, I'm, 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 I have a, I'm in the execution scene. I'm one of the witnesses at Martine Beswick's execution. And what's funny about that, I, she's like my sister. I call her my sister Hyde. In fact, if you read my books, uh, Lost Horizons Beneath the Hollywood Sign and Six Reels Under that are both from Bear Manor Media, and there's a third one, if I ever turn it in, which is Del Valley of the Dolls, then my, my yes. trilogy of Bear Manor memoir books will be complete. Uh, you know, uh, when, when Martine was doing, they give her a lethal injection because they didn't have the money to electrocute her. So <laughs> they're doing that, and Larry Tierney is playing the, the war. By the way, can I just say, Martine Beswick, if, 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 you know, if we're as, as, a, as a hetero male and I'm watching One Million Years B.C., uh -huh. Martine Beswick all the way. Sure, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Everyone's focused on Oh, well, you have to see her in prehistoric women. Oh, yes. I, oh, believe me. That's believe really me, the sir. one. That's the one where she's like, that's yeah. the one where she's got the best line in it. She looks at this, and she hated the guy she worked with, Michael Latimer. She said, darling, I wouldn't give him an orgasm if he was the last man that needed one. <laughs> and she felt the same way about Adam West. She did Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood, and she said, I'm Adam West, I'm not even attracted to him. And yet I have to give him an orgasm. Right. Oh. And I said, well, you know, just close your eyes and think of England. What else can you do? <laughs> I have and, for my uh, mom. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but, but no, Martine, Martine was, Martine was a Long Island iced tea, and Barbara Steele was a champagne cocktail. Right. Ah. But the two of them together were just, you know, I, I, in fact, I just talked to Barbara the other day. We're, we're very close friends. I've done three audio commentaries with Barbara Steele, but... You know, she's one of these people where and when people complain, well, you're not being seen specific. When you have a movie star or the star of the movie in the booth with you, people don't want to hear what I have to say. Right. They right. want me to get her to talk. So I hope people understand that. Somebody was going, oh, some, you know, it's never the, the people that review DVDs. It's always these trolls over at Classic Horror Movie Boards. Sure. I like David Colton, but I'm telling you, those wicked 
wicked trolls that live in basements. All they do is hate everybody. Right. You know, I spend a lifetime accumulating knowledge so I can give it back to people. And what do I do? I get dissed by horror fans that are jealous that I'm doing what they want to do. Exactly. Right. Well, here's the thing, and this is one of the, a big thing I wanted to talk to you about. These days, back in, well, let me back up. Back in the day, there was something that I used to call time in the chair, and it's like, you need to have sat down and watched these films. And these days, I, I see a lot of like genre journalists, media journalists, who, who are gaining their knowledge of certain films secondhand, because right. they're not sitting down there. They don't watch the they, movies. They have a disdain for, for example, as I, I, don't, I don't make I don't make a habit of listening to audio commentaries, including my own, but here is the way I do it. I like to think of an audio commentary as something that you can watch when you're by yourself and you want to get more insight into what you're watching, and you also want to watch it with someone that's entertaining, that you would invite into your home, that you'd give a drink to, that sure. can sit there and not make you, not talk down to you, and for Christ's sake, don't write a script and read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are people I know that will spend hours, and I said, why don't you just publish that? That's, a, that's an essay. I do not want people to read essays to me on an audio commentary. Right. On the other hand, I, you, I work from an outline, and occasionally I will read passages from biographies because it's, if it's germane to the movie. I just did a commentary for Cary Grant's second-to-the-last movie, Father Goose. Now, David DelVal doing an audio commentary for Father Goose, he would go, and this should be doing a, a commentary for Father Goose, but not really because Leslie Caron, Trevor Howard, Cary Grant, Peter Stone, who wrote it, who wrote Charade, I was able to fashion together a pretty good commentary that, there, according to the people at Kino Lover, you did not have any dead air. Uh, and I did read from some biographies of Leslie and Trevor, but only the parts that dealt with Father. And, you know, I, I think I gave a pretty good uh, accounting of the movie. I don't think I'm the world's greatest, you know, Cary Grant expert, but, you know, I did, I think I did what I was hired to do. Sure. Right. Be entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Be because entertaining I don't do, I don't do just, I don't do just horror movies anymore. For Twilight Time, I did Anastasia, wow. The Detective with, uh, with Frank Sinatra, Ten to Midnight with Charles Bronson, yeah. uh, The yeah. Barefoot Contessa with Ava Gardner, uh, Runaway Train with Eric Roberts and Courtney Joyner. Wow. Uh, I've done, I've done nearly 65 audio commentaries in the last four years. Wow. Wow. And I, all... I did, I did both, I did both Shout Factory's Vincent Price box sets, but I wasn't invited back to do the third for some mysterious reason. But that's okay. Did I need to talk about Diary of a Madman? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. But well, I didn't need to talk about House of a Thousand Dolls either, but I did. So, you know, sure. there you go. Sure, sure, sure. And how amazing is it that you you are you are what we all aspire to in that you are doing you're doing what you would do anyways because you love it mm-hmm. and you're getting paid for it. Exactly. Well, there was some before about the time Bill Lustig got me into this business, I was thinking about, well, particularly, but I actually, and I don't want to take credit for this unless someone can establish a precedent, but I recorded an audio commentary with Elizabeth Shepard 
in my bedroom with a tape recorder while we were watching the Tomb of Lygia on television. And wow. that tape record that tape recording of Elizabeth Shepard and I, which was done back in like nineteen eighty one, that was put on the laser disc for Tomb of Lygia yeah. and then was ported over to one or two of the D V D incarnations of it. Now Elizabeth lives in New York and I'm sort of out of touch with her, although I introduced her to Roy Frumkes, who directed Street Trash, yeah. who is also the editor my editor of films if you want to read some of my stuff, go to filmsinreview.com, and my, my column is called Camp David, and there's 20 years worth of writing on that. So wow. just log on and read, read, read. And then my Delval, my, my Delval archives at blogspot.net has all the rest of my writing up until... I'm not writing as much as I should because I'm out all the time, mm-hmm. but all my friends are now saying, David, you got to stay in and write some stuff. So, you know, I, I wrote that introduction course, and I've written some other new stuff. So I'm getting back into writing. But, it, you know, I mean, everything, there just isn't enough hours in the day to do all the things I want to do. Plus, I'm always going out to movies or going to parties. or That's why I'm here, you know. I didn't come to Hollywood, you know, to take a nap. Right. Sure, absolutely. By the no, way... I came here to not take a nap, is what it is. <laughs> <you know. laughs> By the way, uh, when you when you start doing that book tour, um, let us know if you're, if you're going to be in the Seattle area. Well, we're going to start out at Larry Edmonds Bookshop, which is right next door to the Egyptian. Uh, I'm sure the first... I don't know which science fiction film the Egyptian will want to screen in connection with the, the book, but I will definitely let you guys know when we start Absolutely. doing that. And you know what? I was and, just going to uh, say that there is there is no way that we can cover. You're one of those people that you just can't sit down and cover in a short period of time. So we're going to keep inviting you back because yeah. you are you are. Oh well, I, I love it. That's very kind of you. Well, no, I, I love it. And you know, for me, I I mean, I use Facebook, you know, strictly because I've got five thousand people on there, and I keep switching people around because. I'm trying to get it so more of my group is in L.A., or at least in California, because having fans all over the world is great. But, you know, I mean, I'm always having to remove someone to friend someone new because of Facebook's policy of only keeping it at 5,000. I really should start another page. Yeah. I should have a page for just my friends, and then have a business page. Is what I should. Yeah, you can yeah. have a you can have a, a, a person genre or a personality page, right, like a professional right. page, and then yes. also have a, yes. have a, a personal page. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I appreciate so much that you took the time to talk with us, and like I said, we're going to keep inviting you back because I can sit here and listen to you talk for hours. Absolutely. Oh, you're both here. So I had I've really enjoyed this, guys. And you know, whenever you want, just give me. Give me a day's notice, and I'm sure the next time we do this, I'll have a lot more uh, sure things to, to tell you. But but keep an eye out for if you want if you want Father Goose from Kino Lover or the Legend of Hillbilly John from Kino Lover I'm or uh, Tower of London from Arrow or uh, Six Gothic Tales from Arrow, which has all of the Vincent Price Poe films, including my audio commentary for The Haunted Palace. And uh, I forgot what the other one was. Plus, on the two from Shout Factory, uh, I did Last Man on Earth and um, Return of the Fly. Actually, I did The Fly with David Hedison 
And then I did Return of the Fly with Brett Halsley. Oh wow! So I've literally I've done I've done both flies. Oh, I need I need. Not many men can say that. (laughs) I've done both flies. Uh, I think we've all done a a fly or two. Uh, uh, We can't do Curse of the Fly because there's no fly in it. Right. Um, Yeah, just amazing. That's amazing. Anyway. Uh, Once again, thank you. Um, We'll be back in a second, and we'll go over some news and some news and trailers. But uh, thank you, David, very, very, very much. Oh, it's great. Well, listen. So this will be on Tuesday. So let me know, and I'll be. I'm get all my friends to listen. Awesome, dude. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. uh, Bye, bye, guys. We will be back in a second. David. Yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> I like, love that man so much. I, I'd be okay with him coming back every fucking week. Yeah, yeah. Right. During the interview, I kept thinking, like, why don't we have them on every week? And I realized <laughs> that it would be it's a scheduling thing, but uh, yeah, he's definitely gonna gonna be coming back. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's awesome. I, I, I just so hopefully, that. if you like this, if you like this episode, keep listening because yeah. David will be back sometime. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, let's see, getting into news and stuff. Um, we got just a few deaths, uh, a couple of big ones actually. We're gonna start with John Blackwell, who was Prince's drummer. Sure. Fairly young guy. I think he was in his late forties, early fifties. Right. Um, a dude that only you and I probably will care about, and that's Grandmaster King Wu Pan, yeah. who's a very famous martial artist who yes. um, just recently died. Yeah. Uh, and then the big ones this week were. Um, oh, it, it, by the way, uh, did you ever see um, uh, uh, Iron and Silk? No. Uh, you should. Te- you should definitely. Iron and see. Silk. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. I will. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, enough said. <laughs> and then it was it was a bad week for uh, celebrity spouses. Um, we lost both Carolyn Cronenberg, right, and uh, Joan Lee, who was Stan Lee's wife. Yeah. Now, Joan Lee was in her nineties, as Stan is. Um, but Carolyn Cronenberg was fairly young. She wanted to say she was in her fifties. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's it's always sad. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, even when you're 90, it's sad, but it's just one of those things that, that um, I think it's, and the reason why we do this section, I think, is that it's important to mark these things, you know, to, as life goes by, you know, you, you mark your, your passage, but also you mark your passage by marking others. I well, think. and I think it's also, it's also one of those things that, uh, um, is, uh, uh, it's it's also one of those things that you pay more and more attention to. These are my peers. It's just inherent. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, also, we just lost um, actor uh, uh, Nelson Ellis at, at 39. Nelson was the um, the uh, the cook. I, I want to mm-hmm. say. I I I. I'll be honest. I didn't watch True Blood. Yeah. Like I did it first, and then it it started to get silly. He for was me. the uh, and I hate to use these these words as sort of modifiers, but he yeah. was sort of the gay cook. At he was the, the gay the cook. In, in, in There's a great book. scene you can find oh of him God, talking it. some shit. I to love some guy. that scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was only 39 years old, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, uh, heart attack. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Or complication. Uh, I think the official word is complications due to heart failure. Mm. So whatever that means. Could be anything. It could be anything. Yeah. Wow, that's too bad. Um, let's see news. They're releasing a. Speaking of commentaries and stuff like that, uh, they're Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead is coming to Blu-ray. Okay. It's already out on Blu-ray with the the standard features. The standard but this fe- sounds like they're doing like the whole um like uh, with what Heather Buckley does now with the commentaries and right. where are they now? Right, 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 right. And uh, we've talked about that film before, and I'm not going to be blasting this again. Right, right. But the idea that um, I'm excited for that because... By the way, uh, Langley uh, Jr. watched um, the Romero Dawn of the Dead for yes. the first time just recently. And my, I asked him for his opinion. And he's like, I thought it was silly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I've said before. I, I, they, they lose me at the pie fight. Yeah, right. It just right. It so kills whatever... Horror momentum they've got going. You know, it's funny. It's one of those movies. And don't that made... write and tell me I'm an idiot because <laughs> I don't. Well, it's one of those movies that made such a, uh, for lack of a better word, visceral punch impact on me when I first saw it. Sure. And each su- successive reviewing of it, uh, I hate to say this, uh, I have a lower and lower opinion. Mm-hmm. Of it. They're very much both. All of those films, um, both night, day, and, or dawn and day, yeah. are very much products of their time. Right. Um, the the effects in day are are the bomb. Yes. Um, with dawn, you know, I just think, and this is the blasphemy, is that I just think structurally and narratively, Zack Snyder's film holds together better. Mm-hmm. There's there's some great stuff in that movie, but. You know, it has this patina of newness and right. somehow spitting on icons and people shit all over. Sure, it. sure. Yeah, there so, are there are some great moments in the original Dawn. Oh, I agree. When when um when Flyboy becomes a zombie, becomes a zombie. The stalking of uh of the girl by the Hare Krishna. Right, right, right. Um, the whole invasion scene is the, by the motorcycle gang it's is great. great. It's great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff there, and 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 I'm rocketing along perfectly fine. Right. And then the pies come out, and I just go, well, there goes well, that. Well, I think that's a product of, you know, shooting for a long time, night shoots. Yeah. And, and just, just going, sure. Just like, and then you shoot it. enough footage, you go, this isn't video, this isn't digital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, well, I have all this, I, I got to use gotta it. we got to use it, yeah. Let's see. 
Eyes of the Mother, Eyes of Mother director Nicholas Pence. Here's I don't get this is doing a reboot of The Grudge. That's that's the that's the time that's the type of crap that I can't stand. It's are like, are we not over coal-eyed children that wander through hallways all pasty-faced? Well, I, why why do people why do people yeah. consistently remake shit, reboot shit? That was just made not that long ago. Like, the initial grudge is great. The, yeah. the Americanized version has its moments. Sure. But isn't that enough? Yeah. Like, does this story really... This isn't Gone with the Wind, people. No, it's, no. By the yeah. way, why not a reboot of Gone with the Wind? You, you, yeah, you, right? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like... Shit, it's, why not... They, they, uh, they wrote a, she wrote a sequel. Why not Why not yeah. do that? Scarlet, yeah. Right, well, yeah, because yeah. I'm sure people... Who's going to back that? Maybe somebody did, and we just never saw it. It was probably a made-for-TV Hallmark sits, channel. It sits next to, like, the day the clown cried on someone's show. <laughs> um, let's see. This is good news, and I'm not a fan. John Carpenter developed Tales for, of Halloween for Universal Sci-Fi. You know, so... Uh, it's one of those things that's like... I'm reserving... Like, i got to see it, because... Mm-hmm. Because that guy has done some of the that guy's done some of the greatest stuff, and he's done some of the crappiest. And he did stuff. the ward, and right. he did some some of body bags. Is right. really terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, we'll, I think that comes we'll at a certain point in everyone's career when you run out of people that'll tell you no. Right. Exactly. Who tells other than the money people? Who tells John Carpenter no? Nobody. Or that his idea is stupid. Right. Well. Yeah. Call. We'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, Netflix is, has a thing coming out now. I want to say. By the way, Netflix has a million a things. Of stuff. We're gonna get. I have a bunch of Netflix <laughs> stuff here. Uh, but they released. Uh, it's sort of a, an, an animated film based on the video game Castlevania, and it's super super anime looking. Uh-huh. Well, the uh, there's an assa- They're gonna do the same thing with Assassin's Creed. Okay. Maybe because the live action movie bombed, but I also heard that they were doing a sequel to it, even though it bombed. Uh, you know, I don't. It's a cool idea. One, one, I don't. I don't play video games, so I don't know anything about Assassin's mm. Creed. The trailer that I saw for the movie looked cool. Mm-hmm. I never knew of it playing in the damn theater. Yeah, so it came and went real fast. Yeah, for me, Assassin, the movie Assassin's Creed, it it's in that weird no man's land, a phantom zone with mm-hmm. things like Solomon Kane. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine film, but just no one cared and no one saw it. And, right, and, right. You know, I it, for me, like my exposure to Assassin's Creed has been, um, you know, the 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 David character in the Alien Covenant film. Oh, really? Yeah, because when you first introduced to him, he's it's he plays the character in Assassin's Creed, uh-huh. and then he's running around wearing this hood. Yeah, he looks like the character from oh, Assassin's that's Creed. In, in the a, thing, the coolest thing that gets you hooked with Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed, is this thing called the Leap of Faith, where you have people swan diving off buildings and uh-huh. landing in uh, wagons of hay, <laughs> and you go, yeah, okay, okay, it's James yeah, Bond. I'll buy that. Yeah, it's very <laughs> much, it's very much sort of like um, James Bond meets uh, Victorian. Victorian, Victorian uh, yeah. French Revolution. Now there's all these iterations of it, right? Right, right, right. So anyway, uh, this is good news. Jeremy Renner broke both of his arms in filming Avengers Four. 
I don't know how. There was some sort of accident, and he broke both of his arms. Oh, okay. And for a guy that's an archer, yeah, that's kind of yeah, a problem. That's a yeah, that's an issue. I'm sure they'll just what they'll do is they'll he'll have CGR. CGR. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! I just threw my pen. Oh my god, that's the funniest thing ever. To go along with his CG arrows. They'll just have green, green <laughs> wings and casts, and they'll. Uh, oh, that's well, funny. that I mean, I you know, it sucks for anybody to break both of their arms, but that's not my will. Kind of funny. <laughs> kind of funny. It is funny. Um, this is weird. Also, Andy Garcia has been cast as Ricardo Montalban. In my dinner with Hervé, with that the Peter Dinklage movie that he's doing as oh. Hervé uh, Okay. I kind of get it. Sure. Why not Antonio Banderas? I don't know. That's all he does now is that that kind of a thing. Right. Right. Um, I I I have to admit to being incredibly interested in my dinner with Hervé. Well, it, okay. So. Because one, I want to know is Peter Dinklage going to do the voice? Right, because that voice is very It's iconic, distinctive. but it's also a little bit of a caricature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that guy was a, a hound. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. And and that's and that's where the story is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, why else would we have this movie? It's kind of like Bob Crane. Why do autofocus? Right, without talking about without that exa- stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, supposedly I had heard, I want to see on Gilbert's show they were talking about him, and that, like, anatomically, whatever was going on with Hervé Villachez, his his internal organs were normal size, and they were just all c- oh, compact. Wow. So he was constantly in pain. Sure. Um, just existing was painful for him. And, sure, sure, you know, sure. And he took refuge in a lot of drugs and alcohol. kind of like being an English bulldog. It's like taking a great big dog and shoving it into the body yeah, yeah, of a small yeah, yeah, dog. Yeah, it's yeah. it's, it's a, not a good thing. Uh, here's something that I heard about. And uh, I, by the way, fuck you, anybody who's like, oh, you just compared so-and-so to a dog. Yeah, no, yeah, that's no. not what we just no, did. No, no, no. Uh, not at all. No, no, no. Um, this is interesting, and I immediately thought of There are two things this, this time out that immediately I thought of you. This, Happy Time Murders. It's directed by Brian Henson. It's being billed as a, quote, puppet noir. Sure. Melissa McCarthy, it, it was wallowing it was wallowing somewhere and no one cared. And then Melissa McCarthy signed on. It It sounds like Who Framed Roger Rabbit or mm-hmm. Cool World right. with puppets. With puppets. Yeah. I, sign me up. Fucking A, it Looks man. great. Yeah. It looks absolutely great. Um, the main character is very sort of bogey looking. Mm-hmm. The color scheme on him is very black and white and I, gray. I'm all on board. Looks great. Dude, puppets, fucking A. Yeah, yeah. bring them yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll get to the other thing in a second. Um, Warner Brothers and the Tolkien estate settle a lawsuit because Warner Brothers issued electric slot machines and they were put in in casinos. Right. I've and, seen some and of them. And the them. coloring, the, the the image on the front of it, featured characters that Warner that were Tolkien had written, but Warner Brothers didn't buy the rights to. Gotcha. And so they had this big lawsuit, and they sort of settled that. I kind of get the feeling that the Tolkien estate is a little uh, uh, lawsuit. A little. Yeah, you know, I mean, I get that. it. The problem is, is that the the creative spark plug that is fueling your industry is gone now. It's like B.C. Anders. Right. They're gone now. So you do one of two things. One, you hire a shit ton, which B.C. Anders did. You hire a shit ton of ghostwriters. Right. Or, 
You protect your rights. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. Look at the same thing uh, Linda did with Bruce Lee's image. They right. actively scoured. Yeah, they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clamping down on people. Yeah. So that's interesting. Here's the other thing. We um, And this is the last of the news. We were talking about the Hellboy the new Hellboy. Right. About how the guy from Stranger Needs or Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Stranger Needs. <laughs> Dude, that would be an awesome yeah, thing. I think it's a like, needful thing. It's not needful things, but it's Stranger Needs. Things. It's yeah, like, you need some strange shit. Okay, go ahead. Um, and then today, or the last couple of days, I was reading stuff and suddenly I saw there's a change where they're no longer just calling it this Hellboy project. They're calling it Neil Marshall's Hellboy. Now, I don't know if that's just rumor hmm. or not, but suddenly I'm kind of interested. Yeah. Neil Marshall doing a Hellboy movie well, may work. Well, here's the thing about uh, that whole universe, right, is that uh, Magnolia... Uh, Magnolia. Magnolia, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's, that universe is much bigger than Hellboy. Agreed. There's a whole, you know, the, the, the BPRD. Mm -hmm. um, there is... Um, the lobster stories. There's, there's, there's a whole. It's a much bigger thing than just Hellboy. Right. And I would see any kind of a reboot or anything like that as an opportunity to start to explore this universe a little bit mm -hmm. beyond just Hellboy. Um, you know, I, I, I'll see it because I, I love the property. It's a great I, property. I, 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 I love the comics. I love everything about it um and if mike's involved then i have to imagine the integrity at the very least sounds is like be he's there. the only one involved right it is it is hard if you're if you're a big if you're a big fan of the hellboy movies like i am mm -hmm. it is tough to just you know to try to figure out what's what was the thinking like wh why not del toro because we know he wanted to do it. Yeah, everyone why, wanted to do it. Why Ron not Roland Perlman? He wanted we to do know it. He wanted it to sounds do it. like they were using an opportunity to sort of shake the ant farm and yeah, and let's see what else we can come up with. Which okay, and you know the thing we we're kind of talking about with David, where you know being being metaphorical, like me and my eight hundred thousand dollar film, like a speedboat. When you get into those high budgets, hundred million, two million, those are cruisers. Those are like, um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, cruises, cruise ships. Yeah, um, they're harder to turn about. They're harder to make any any nimble movement. And right. At some point, you're kind of signed on. I'm sure the people back to Mummy. I'm sure the people at the studio knew what a piece of shit it was. And at that point, you got to put your pig in a dress and take it to to the farm. Absolutely. The, yeah. There. Right. 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 Yeah, That's yeah. what doesn't make sense because if you, with that particular property, all the things that are bringing you any kind of clout, all the things that are put, that, all the people who are making that dress mm -hmm. that you're going to put your pig in, yeah, uh, you're not inviting them to the party, and yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Why exclude it. them? At the right, exactly. At least see what they would have done, and then decide. Right. From there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, on the trailers, um, we're in a season now where there's a lot of them, so yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on some of this stuff. Sure, sure. But we'll buzz through them pretty quick. I was, uh, I, 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 generally liked the this list of trailers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Uh, let's see, two twenty two two colon twenty two like a time. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of Groundhog's Day. Kind of Groundhog's Day. Um, it reminded me of. Um, uh, I was thinking of it when I was watching the trailer. It kind of reminds me of, um, in a weird, in a, in a very weird. Now that I think about it, not really at all. It, it, but for some reason, when I was watching it, I, it made me think of um, things like Dark City, where hmm. there's a reality mm-hmm. that is being created. Um, what I got from the trailer is that th- these patterns this guy is seeing yeah. and stuff may not entirely be something that he's actually seeing and it might be something that's happening in his head. Oh, okay. I don't know. It is something to do with the guy who's an aircraft controller, there's an accident and it, You know what even made me think more of it was Donnie Darko. Yeah. Yeah. I'd give you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure when you start reading press for this film yeah. that name's gonna get dropped. Yeah, yeah. It looked okay. I'm I again probably a DVD rental or something sure, like that sure, if it sure. was on TV. Yeah. I'm I'm probably not gonna go to the theater to see it. Uh, here's another one. Borg versus McEnroe. This has nothing to do with Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe. I think that if you weren't uh, around at the time... You have no idea what, you don't know what the hell they're it's talking like about. It's like this Battle of the Sexes that's coming out with Emily Stone and right. Steve Carell about uh, Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. If you right. didn't know what was going on, who cares? Well, yeah, one, but 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 an argument could be made. Who cares? And on the other hand, maybe this is the thing that educates you. Yeah, it makes you care. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, okay. I, I will sure. say this. I don't give a shit about tennis, but Bjorn Borg was the shit to me was when I was shit. a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was absolutely. He was everything you hated. He was Scandinavian. He was good looking. He was great. He was like he was, he was like ABBA playing yeah. tennis. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's so funny. Uh, let's see. Uh, horror film called The Hatred. Uh, was that the, the people in the house? Yeah, the it had the, the big house. scene and it had to do with there's a bed gag. Right, right, right. We've seen we have all seen that exact same gag in short horror films yeah. for years now. For years. We've seen it at Bleeding Hand, that same gag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh and I and I just kinda of feel like Okay, there's I mean there's definitely going to be people who who like it because mm-hmm. it looks like every other supernatural ghost thing yeah. and it's full of jump scares and I sure. probably don't care. Yeah, it's it's uh if it's on on Netflix and I have seen everything else in my queue, sure. maybe maybe I'll throw it on depends. It'll on make your list of 360 yeah, <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially once it hits YouTube. Yeah. Uh next up, a documentary called Santoala about some Scandinavians that moved into Spain. Yeah. And there's some something happened. Something happened. So there's it's a true crime story. It's a documentary. Uh, sure. It, it's the type. It's exactly the type of thing I'll put on while I'm working. While you're working. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to. Grey Gardens, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. put it on and exactly. it's there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, Army Hammer and Jeffrey Rush in a movie called Final Portrait. Directed by Stanley Tucci. Now that makes me interested because I really like right. Big Night, mm-hmm. and I think he's a good director. Mm-hmm. And this thing looks very cool. It looks very cool. I love movies about artists and their relationship with other people um, because they're often so different than those other people. Mm-hmm. Um, Army Hammer, man. I, I, you know, what is who does he have in his pocket that I, they just keep putting him up for? Here's stuff? the thing about Army Hammer is that, uh, besides the fact that he has an awesome name, yeah. Um, 
I'm sure Al Gore would have been a, a good president or a fine president, but no one's ever accused him of having a lick of personality. Right. Well, it's and, and Army Hammer is the Al Gore of actors. <laughs> well, he—he's the weakest thing in Lone Ranger. Yeah. He's the weakest thing in Man from Uncle. And yet, I thought he was okay in Man from Uncle because he makes up yeah. for that. Uh, he makes up for that. That. The only thing I could think of, because I was thinking about this before I came over, and I'm like, how do I describe Army Hammer? Blankness. Yeah. He's he's There's just, just sort of a guy. He's a generic, good-looking guy. Dude, he would be an amazing spy or ninja or something, because nobody would pay any attention to him. <laughs> well, yeah, with Man from Uncle, I think, one, you got Henry Cavill, who... who Cavill? 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 Right, right, right. Whatever. Um, awesome. Perfectly cast in yeah, that role. Yeah, yeah. And then... Army Hammer in the role of Ilya Kuryakin, I just don't get that sort of cool factor. Because when I remember Man from Uncle, the TV show, Kuryakin was the cool one. Everyone right. wanted to be that guy. Right, right, right. And this just was sort of... The chick was cooler than, than Army Hammer he was. He just it? is this blank yeah. guy. And yeah. uh, he needs... You know what he needs? He needs... He, one, he needs to get older. Because... As an actor, he does need to get older. As an actor, I think he's fine. Yeah, I, I don't think in any of the things that I've seen that I I, I continually think of why this guy, his acting was fine. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. There's just something about him that it just like makes you not pay attention to it. Yeah. you know, I I don't know yeah. what it is. He's just like we need a lantern jawed hero. Boom. Yeah, there we go. No, uh, let's see. Moving on. Uh no surprise here. Geostorm looks ret- ridiculously stupid. It, it looks horrible. It, it's from, the from um, I want to say, Dean Devlin is producing the guy mm-hmm. behind, half of the team behind yeah. ID4. I don't, I, I'm not saying that the idea isn't cool. I, th- I think it's a yeah, cool idea. there's a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on, but I, I yeah, it just looks, it's well, first feel- of all, it feels like they can't make up their mind. Is it funny? Is a serious movie? Yeah, or is it funny? Yeah. yeah. They, they put in like those, these classic rock songs and I'm like, yeah. well, I, it felt to me like, uh, San Andreas. Yeah, and I hate all that yeah. crap. Yeah. No but, substance, just let's destroy yeah. stuff. Uh, interesting movie called The Ritual. Um, two friends going to a bar, to a uh, grocery store. Uh, there's a robbery. One hides, the other one's killed. Uh, before it, they're talking about going hiking in Sweden. Right. So them and a bunch of friends to honor their friend go to Sweden. Right. And sort of encounter... They run into something. Something in the forest. Yeah, and uh, that looks fucking cool. It I'm does. I'm very interested. looks different. It looks it, a lot it, like... It looks... There's there's elements about it that are funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, there's there was an article that went up recently about post-horror. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This feels like that to me. I, because we don't know. We don't... what. Man, I got to tell you, whoever came up with that title, post horror, I'd love to punch in the dick. <laughs> it's like, will you stop it? Will you just stop it with all of this box making? And, and let's try to put this in. And let's try to. Did you see what Heather said about it? No. It's like she said, maybe post horror is like soft core horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's and they're and they're reasoning for wanting to have this new label. Is just dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. It's, it's it's a what did they say? It's, it's a reaction to the corporate horror of No, it's low budget horror it's films. It's low budget horror films. You don't have a lot for like 
the spectacular shit, so you do right. slow burn films, and and this kind of looks like that, although, uh, to me, it looks even more, I, there's enough, I don't know, for lack of a better word, English humor there, mm -hmm. that, uh... Is it, it English, or is it I, I don't know if it's, I, well, I don't know if it's English or not. I don't know, not. yeah, go ahead. But, but that, that feeling of that, 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 but we'll, we'll call it European humor. Okay. Um... Yeah, yeah. It feels like that. And so, kind of like the... Do you remember a movie called Severance? Yeah. Yeah. It feels a little bit like that to me. Yeah, I was going to say it felt like um, the more... Like, remember... What was it? Blood Tide? Not Blood Tide. The one about the Blood Glacier? Blood Glacier. Yeah. Feels like that. Yeah. Feels like Cold Prey, which is a killer in the house thing. Right, right, right. Skin. But it feels kind of Scandinavian. But for people... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, when they, they encounter whatever this... Whatever it is in the forest, we're getting these Nordic runes yeah. hanging around yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm definitely on board. If yeah. nothing else... It looks like there's a monster, mm -hmm. and so I'm yeah, on, we're down. I'm on board. Uh, here's the other one that I immediately thought of you, and that's um, Dave made a maze. Holy fuck! This is out of all the trailers this week. This is the one I'm just like, oh my god! How sits right on the shelf next to being John Malkovich? Oh, dude, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, I hope this movie becomes a fucking. Yeah. What happens is, is a guy, a girl comes home, and her boyfriend has made a cardboard there's maze. There's like a box. There's like a cardboard box in the middle of the It's like taped together. Floor. It looks like yeah. something a kid would make. But inside it is a labyrinth. There's this whole fucking world. It's a world. And it's all made of cardboard and bullshit that you would find laying around. There's like like lunch sack puppets and shit. Very much like the Fandango ads. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking almost, how do you not get sued? The thing that got me, that I was already sold, but the thing that sold, sold me was someone... Wanders out of frame and is killed, and instead of blood, it's crepe paper. It's crepe paper. Red crepe paper. Oh my god, dude, this looks so great. Yeah. I'm so I'm excited really excited about it. Yeah. And the monster even looks cool. It's all made of cardboard. Yeah. And it looks kind of like a minotaur. And dude, I'm, I'm I, down. I am all over it. Uh, next, uh, I don't know. This is odd. I almost pulled this one. It was. It's called Icarus. It's a documentary on Russian doping. Um, it's a Netflix documentary. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm, I'll definitely check it out. I Especially it's, since it's on Netflix and it'll be accessible. Yeah, it's easy. one of those while I'm working things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't see myself sitting there riveted with popcorn. I, watching you know, this. I mean, uh, I feel like, uh, watching the trailer, I feel like I'm being heavily manipulated. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it'll be interesting. It, it should I, be. I, you know, especially if if what the the trailer promises is true... And this this whole uh, Russian doping thing turns out that it's gone back to 1968. Mm -hmm. Because I remember, as a kid during the Cold War, I remember the that Olympics. Was the it was it was yeah, the Olympics was the battlefield, right? And it was yeah. like you know, man, we, you know, we have to fight the. Well, I think it's funny that how can you not think? How can someone not think that when they look at? Jesse Owens going to the German Olympics. Right, you know, exactly. It was a political statement. Yeah. It was it was, sh it was one-upsmanship. It was showing them something. And so yeah, yeah. Uh, like I say, uh, let's see. Second trailer is out for Kingsman Two. Uh huh. Uh, they're playing up more of the American angle. They're called the Statesman. Which yeah. How soon do we see a Statesman movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I you know it looks looks fun. If you like Kingsman, you're I really like more of it. I really liked Kingsman. 
probably for the wrong reasons. Mm. Um, I liked it because it spoke to it spoke to that man from Uncle vibe, yeah. you know, the, in me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if this one has that, but yeah, um, yeah sure. Well, I'll it's definitely... it's loading it up. Channing Tatum's in it. Yeah. Jeff Bridges is in it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah it looks, but I'm I'm down. I might even use go to the theater for this one. Sure, sure. See it. Um, uh, another trailer came out for a film we've already talked about, and that's Patty Cakes. Patty Cakes, man. And the more I see about it, even though it is it's miles away from what I usually right. watch, it looks great. Yeah, I, I will say this. I showed it to a co-worker last night at yeah. the hospital, and the first words out of his mouth were, oh, this is 8 Mile. And it is eight miles. It is eight miles. Yeah, I, I think it rests on this woman, this young girl's performance that yeah. is going to make it different. The difference is, I didn't give a shit about eight miles. Yeah. I kind of care about and this. And this, I care about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the great cabaret performer Bridget Everett plays her mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, she's every every bit. This is kind. I oh, man, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to. I don't mean it the way it's going to sound. <laughs> but if you look at Monique in Precious, right. This is Bridget Everett's Precious. No, I... And I don't mean it because it both deals with women that have weight issues or whatever else. I'm saying this is a really shitty mom, and there's lots of scenery to chew. Right. And Bridget Everett, if anyone is up... up. Yeah. She's, she's being wasted as the, the heavy friend to Amy Schumer. I think, I think that that is a fair... I think that that's a fair comparison. All right. And, and and by the way, Precious is an amazing movie. Precious is yeah. yeah, yeah. And Monique is great. Yeah, in yeah, it. yeah. And great. In it. And then finally, um, another Wolf Cop. Did you see Wolf Cop? I did. Um, so, I have. I, I'm torn. Right. Yeah. I really am. I'm torn yeah. because Wolf Cop is not, by any stretch of the imagination, a good movie. Right. Um, but it definitely. I mean, it. it it delivers on what it promises. It delivers on what it promises. There, there's a wolf. There's a wolf. And he's a cop. He's a cop. And here's what kind of um, saved it for me was, that's fucking cool makeup. That's a lot of problem. cool practical effects. Yeah, that's kind of the, you know, aside from aside from uh, Rick Baker's stuff in The Wolfman, uh-huh. um, uh, it's the coolest cool. werewolf. Yeah, and in a, in a low budget world where it would have been easier to go CG, yeah. they didn't. No, they didn't. And uh, uh, is it is it catering to the Kung Fury crowd? A- sure. Absolutely. Is it catering to the trauma crowd? Yeah, absolutely. Ab- absolutely. It's, uh, it's I think it falls into that stuff David was talking about. About this is a film that it's not Doctor Shivago. Yeah, it's Wolf Cop too. And so. And if you're going to see Dr. Shivago, then something's wrong yeah. with you, right? <laughs> if you're going to see Wolf Cop 2 and you're expecting something... No, I, 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 I definitely... I, I hope to someday get the box set, the Wolf Cop box set. You know? I don't. When, <laughs> when I see it... But when I see it appear on my recently added on Netflix streaming... Yeah, you're going to watch it. I'm going to yeah, watch it. Yeah. This is exactly how I watched the first Wolf Cop. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Dang it! Uh, something about that that we just said out. It brought up a point that I wanted to Uh-oh. to speak to, and of course, yeah, of course, yeah. Now yeah. I can't remember it because these podcasts are up are brought to you by all sorts of stuff. <laughs> um, well, have you seen anything lately? Speaking of watching stuff, um, do that and get out of here. I no, it's a lot of a lot of the the viewing um, at our household has been either. 
it's been mostly Jen catching me up on Game of Thrones or me catching Jen up on Twin Peaks. Okay. That's basically what we've and been And then you've got Langley doing. Jr. there for uh, the summer oh, oh, yeah, who's yeah, watching so, shit. Yeah, so every... I, for, for, I don't know. For long-time listeners of the podcast, you know this, but uh, my son comes and visits me for the summer, and he's 15 years old. And he and a great kid. Or uh, I, yeah, he is a great kid. And and early on took an interest in movies because his dad's a freak and has mm-hmm. hundreds of movies along the wall. And every summer he selects a stack of movies and he gravitates. The things he likes the most are, um, I don't know what I I don't know how to describe it other than to say classic film of the late sixties and seventies. Taxi Driver is his favorite movie of all time. That kind of gives you an idea. Wow. Right? Um, Yeah, 15. That's good. So he he just... I've not allowed him to see certain films up to this point, and now I'm kind of reaching the point of like... This is the summer of... Yeah, we're opening the doors. Nice. uh, So he watched Boogie Nights. Oh, uh, wow. uh, uh, Just recently. And uh, it's been really interesting and fun to get his take on... He came to class, a class that we we, we, we do... And uh, uh, he was telling me how they talk about it, and they they show it. Yeah, like, it was like he was really he seemed really impressed by that. And I thought, that a boy. Yeah, yeah he that said he. Was, yeah, I remember him saying it was like I was not prepared to to see you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this baby's arm what holding an this, apple. Yeah, exactly. Out of coming out of his pants. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so he's 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 doing great. Uh, Something I'm very excited about, which is actually going to happen tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow's kind of a cool day because um, it's, it's our city's pride. It's our city's pride parade. So, yeah. um, and that's why I, I really dug this particular episode in mm-hmm. reference to. Agreed. Uh, and it did not. That was not. It wasn't. It wasn't planned. Design. It just kind of happened. Just that happened. Way. Um, but then um, tomorrow night, uh, CNN premieres its first episode of. The 90s. Oh, the 90s. They did the 80s yeah, and the 70s. This, and those the are 60s. great. The they're 60s. amazing. Yeah, they're, they're great. great. So I'm look, I'm really looking forward to, you know, revisiting um, Bill Clinton's blowjob. Um, sure. Uh, grunge music. Whatever else happened in the 90s that I've probably forgotten about now. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Because if, for, for people who haven't watched those... They're fucking amazing, and you really should. You should take the time to watch CNN's explore. They're, they're produced by Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. They're explorations of dec- you know particular decades, and one episode might deal with television, another one deals with music, and another one deals with what's going on in politics, and right, right, so right. on and so forth. And so they're they're wonderful. That's awesome. And uh, if you're a younger person and doesn't like um, history, mm-hmm. it, it, because in school they rarely teach recent history, anyways. Right. Um, it's a fun and entertaining way to kind of catch up on what's gone, you know, what's happened in the last forty years. Or and what. a great tickler file for 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 us older folks there, like us. Go, We're like, oh shit, oh, clackers! Yeah. I remember clackers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, go look clackers up, kid. <laughs> uh, let's see me going through the list. Uh, mixed bag this week. The bad was a movie called Salvage. Don't even bother. Um, Wax Masks, uh, the Dario Argento produced thing that was supposed to be a Fulci film, and then they yanked it from Fulci, and the story goes that it broke his heart so much that he died soon after, mm-hmm. so there's that. 
something called Day Night, Day Night, um, Legend of the Fist, The Return of Chen Zen with Donnie Yen, a mm-hmm. uh, documentary called Heart is a Drum, talks about electronic music. Uh, then the things I really, a couple things I really wanted to talk about. Number one, uh, Bill Burr has a new special out on Netflix called Walk Your Way Out. Right. Uh, I'm a fan of Bill Burr, but something's changed in that guy. It, usually, it, I can put it at the election. Right. And his perspective has changed, and and this is not a great special. It's mm-hmm. it's good, but when you look at his other stuff, it doesn't even come close. Sure. And then uh, I rewatched Panic in the Streets because man. God, awesome. it, it's been. So I saw you post that review, and I'm just like, God damn it, man! That it's is, so good. It's such a good movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, it's a movie that people don't, you, you know, um, film people know it. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it's not a. It's not a title. You're, I think your average know. film fan might have heard the title, mm-hmm. but has no idea what it's about. It's essentially um, the. Remember the movie Contagion with yeah. Dustin Hoffman? Yeah, it's absolutely. Kind of that. Way set in the fifties, yeah, yeah, where there's no such thing as cell phones and all yeah, that other I don't shit. even know if there was a CDC then, right? Yeah, you know, probably like, not. No, yeah, but it's about a uh, an out, uh, outbreak in I want to say New Orleans that and they try to find patient zero and and eradicate it, right. and, and it's got some great stuff. And then finally, um, I watched Double X. The uh, anthology film made by all f- female, um, right? Which we were kind films. of excited about, yeah, because the trailer looks was good, so promising, and the film looks good. It's the script. They're they're the stories are dumb. They're not fully realized. That things happen for no other reason than it just kind of looks cool. Mm-hmm. One story um, is a blatant ripoff of Josh Reed's 2010 film Primal. It's a Australian horror film. Right. Um, and in the end, you know, I w- is there is there a wraparound story? Is there no. something that connects them? No. Yes, there is. Yes, oh, there is. Okay. I think it back. There is a stop motion thing that right. is easily the best thing in the movie. Uh, I would love to see more of. Of, of that, that person's work, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't succeed where in what it sets out to do, and I, and I guess that's to show that female filmmakers are a viable thing too. Um, where in a world where you've got people like Ava Ava DuVernay and I just and you know Lexi I, Alexander, okay, um, but in the end, as I said in the review I wrote, uh, it proves that given the same tools and the same money, that women can make shitty horror films just like everybody else. Well, yeah, and... And I don't mean that to be a dick, No, 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 no. It it drives home the point to me that we should stop this fucking... I agree. It's a a women's thing, or it's a... Fuck it. It's a a movie, and it doesn't matter if it was made by a woman, a man, a a monkey. I hate qualifiers. I hate... I am a Chinese-American filmmaker. I am a gay filmmaker. Dude! Just be a filmmaker. You know the thing that pisses me off the most, and I and I never say anything about it on um, social media, um, and this has nothing to do with film. It's from another aspect of my life. Um, but I'll say it here, because the people who are in that part of my life probably don't listen to this. And that is, can we please get rid of the fucking term women's self-defense class? <laughs> It's a fucking self-defense class. It doesn't yeah. matter, you know? Yeah. Yeah, 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 why, yeah, yeah. why do you... It's like anything. Oh, my God. It's, it's like anything, especially in martial or anything physical, where it's like, you have all attributes. You get you get the you get the, the spindly little kid student, 
right as, as much you get and then you got Gabby Garcia yeah it's Ooh. it's it's you see that stupid. it's yeah I did yeah yeah, yeah, yeah she has cool. got in some big trouble yeah. for head kicking some chick and putting her lights way up way up um, yeah, I just I don't yeah. I don't understand. I just don't get it. Now it almost I almost feel like why are you? And I don't mean the word in a bad way, but why are you ghettoizing yourself? You're you're purposely by trying to identify. You're purposely erecting fences around you, and I right. just don't understand it. Um, well, I I kind of do. I kind of do because if you're if you're a marginalized community of any type. I was thinking about it earlier. Voices were, are heard, and that's I think what a film festivals are for to right. draw attention to that. Stuff. Right, and that's and David was talking about it earlier. Mm-hmm. He was he was kind of um, drawing a, a correlation between um, gay film, you know, well, the gay community and uh, ethnic communities that have been stereotyped. Really, any any community that has been marginalized, mm-hmm. and and there's no, I'm not. There's no doubt that women filmmakers, politicians, etc., have been marginalized. Mm-hmm. Women in general. Agree. I think that you're doing yourself a disservice if you're if you consider yourself, uh, in this case, a feminist, by labeling labeling yourself as a woman filmmaker. Mm-hmm. God damn it, you're a filmmaker. Yeah, you're a filmmaker, and 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 I think that that. I think that when you do that, you are contributing to this. You know, again, we were talking about boxes earlier, right? Mm-hmm. You're making these fucking boxes for yourself. You're right. making these labels and boxes and things. And in a way, it's it's like, uh, look, I get it that it's it's so important for people to see themselves out there in yeah. the media, in film, or whatever. Sure, sure, sure. But I I I just don't know. At the end of the day, all of that is just clap that it's all just noise because at the end of the day it's the film it's the film show me the film right. and then we can talk about the film and and maybe if Absolutely. it informs that and that's one of the things where double x fails is that it, it deals with motherhood sort of obliquely mm-hmm. and the storytelling isn't isn't made any richer by the director's gender and i really thought that that's what i was going to get mm-hmm. and i and you just don't well know. and and to be fair to the filmmakers um, all of that noise probably had nothing to do with them. That's a that's a marketing. Well, ploy, they right? they were no the directors were out and they were having conversations. Okay, with okay. But on the other hand, in a in a world where everyone's making noise, sometimes you got to use what you got to use to get people to hear your noise. Right. And I get that. And I don't mean to say that. The, I mean the film was. Uh, I look it, at it this way. Okay, regardless of what your whatever your political leanings are. Mm-hmm. I don't see Margaret Thatcher, for example, as a female politician. Mm-hmm. She was a hard-ass politician. politician. Yeah, yeah. The fact that she was female is has nothing to do with All right. it. Un- until she comes to you and says, as a female politician, right, exactly. then it's like, well, okay, and well, then, now okay, we're in that Now, room. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and again, before you write in and talk about how we are too... Middle-aged white guys, and we don't and we, we can't don't know understand. what the fuck we're talking about. No, I I I think that what I'm trying to talk about is is beyond that, beyond ethnicity, beyond gender, beyond even beyond anything. Well, ultimately, it, regardless of what we just said, what what Tom was talking about earlier is is the bottom line. It's the final product, mm-hmm. the book that you wrote, the movie that you made. Yeah. That 
and 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 if and and that there's any discussion of gender or race or do it in the piece any of that stuff right exactly the piece is so here a good example would be um, get out mm-hmm. okay get out it's all done in the piece right R- regardless of I've who seen the remarkably was. little from Jordan Peele talking about well what the film means is he's like well you tell yeah, me it's like it's right there yeah, yeah it's exactly. all there and I think that's the way it should be exactly just shut up about it yeah um, another thing I wanted to bring up really quickly before we get out of here um, is uh, YouTube and we've talked I've talked about it before what a wonderland YouTube is both for film if yeah. you just type in you genre gotta do, you gotta do some digging but yeah Type in the genre you're looking for in full film, and you'll be amazed. Right. Um, but I found these two things that you and I have talked about, and I might have talked about on the show, but I'm going to talk about it again. Number one, Criterion Closet. Right. Um, and the other one is uh, Amoeba Records, What's in My Bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the idea is Both that... fun. Great. Yeah. The idea is that you cut someone who you like, like uh, they did Nicholas Winding Refn right. in the Criterion Closet. A celebrity or a, a, a filmmaker, a, an or artist, creative. You, yeah. yeah. And they cut him loose in, a, in in Amoeba. They cut him loose in the store. In the Criterion, they cut him loose in a closet. And it's just they just watch them as they they can just, I guess grab whatever they want. And it's interesting to see what they grab. I am not a Michael Sarah fan. However. His Criterion uh, collection thing, the closet thing, he's pulling out and speaking to them eloquently, Ozu films. Right. And Kurosawa and all of this stuff. And it's just like, okay, now i got to rethink Michael Sarah because right. clearly there's more going yeah, on. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it brings, and, you know, it just drives home that, it drives home the, the realization that just because... Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to pull a name. Uh, Brendan Fraser does goofy movies. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean he's a goofy guy. Right. You know, he's making a buck. Well, it's also interesting to see certain filmmakers, for example, and I won't mention who this one was, but goes, he'll pull a movie down and go, oh, look, oh, yeah, Black Narcissus. i never seen this. And it's like, <laughs> what? Yeah, how can you have not have seen that? How have you not seen that? Yeah. You know, and or a guy, uh, one other person pulled up uh, Alex Cox's Repo Man. He goes, I've always heard about this, but I've never seen it. And it's like, oh, well, you know, come to my, where I put you in a chair clockwork orange style. However, however, the, I I think I think we as fans, critics, mm-hmm. reviewers, whatever you want to call us, we're different animals, mm-hmm. and uh, than than the people who are making this stuff. Right. Sometimes we're the same. Mm-hmm. You write books. And, and, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, that doesn't that doesn't really surprise me. Yeah, it's weird. It's the same same thing happened to me at Crypticon where we were doing panels with stuff, and it, we're on there with journal we're on panels with journalists and stuff. Right. And you and we just start doing what we're doing. Right. The same thing we do here every week, and suddenly it's like you know that you realize that they're not. You're getting some blank stares. Yeah, you're getting yeah. a lot of blank stares. Yeah. And uh, and that was something I wanted to talk to. I will talk to David about at some point. Yeah. It's that sort of. Everyone can be an authority now, and they don't realize that. Like it's like with David. David is such a guy that you, he just drags you into deep water, and you're happy to be there. Right. But you know you're not going to get everything. Yeah. You know there was some things today that went right by my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, next week, 
we have another guest. Yes, we do. That third chair is going to be a lot of guests these days. It's, yeah, we uh, have a lot I, of guests coming up. I don't want to blow up, but I'm going to say this. If you've ever seen George Romero's film Martin, <laughs> you'll know who, our, you know who our guest is. One of my favorite vampire movies of yeah. all time. We're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to, yeah. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about addiction, um, because that's yes. what Martin is all about. Absolutely. And um, we're going to go deep with that guy. Cause he, it, he's you know, guy. It, I, would, I, would, I would even go as far to say... If you're listening to us this week, and you haven't seen Martin, you haven't seen George yeah. Romero's Martin, find it before. Yeah, that's your homework. Week. Yeah, yeah. For next week, you got to watch Martin, and you'll and you'll go. We'll be right on our page. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but he's a great guy, and it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, you have anything you're working on before we get out of here, real quick? Uh, I, it's all Bleeding Ham stuff now. Bleeding Ham, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just got the thing. I'll be judging that, and I got uh, the notice that. That I'm in the system now, and I, uh, me, uh, my book, Moonlight Serenades and No Flesh Shall We Spread Her Out. String of Pearls is at the publisher. I've just sent them the cover. I'm hoping that that will be out sometime in um, by Christmas. Uh huh. No Flesh Shall We Spared sequel. I'm probably halfway through the third act. Sure. On the first draft, I'm about sixty thousand words. You're almost in what we would call. The home stretch. I am in the home stretch. Okay. All I got to do is there's a couple people I got to knock off, and a finale that I got to present. And then once I get to the end, I'm going to take uh, a week or two off, and then we'll start the multiple rewrites. And I'm hoping that to have that to the publisher by the fall. Cool. And then after that, um, I think we're going to do something called Helen at the Haitian Moon, which is a monster match, and that's going to be fun. Awesome. All right. So uh, go to our Facebook page, like us, to give us some feedback, man. Go to the my we website. love hearing. From we love people. feedback, both good and bad. Yeah. Um, uh, and That's how us, we learn. Tell us, yeah. Tell us if there's anything you want to see, or anybody you want to see, or if you know someone, point them that you think would be a good guest, point them in our direction. Because, like I say, that and third don't, chair. And don't tell us you want it. You want us to interview Steven Spielberg because that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we'd only talk about dual. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For the Most Material Podcast, I'm Tom Parnell. And I'm Langley West. Stay scary. <laughs>